Welcome to the Human Performance Outliers Podcast with your host, Zach Bitter. At Human Performance Outliers Podcast, we dive into a wide range of topics, including health, fitness, and training strategies, to name a few. If you enjoy the show and wish to support, please visit patreon.com forward slash HPO podcast. If you do not use Patreon or wish to make a one-time donation, please visit the show PayPal page at paypal.me forward slash HPO pod. Links to both of those can be found in the show notes. Also, consider subscribing to us on your favorite podcast listening platform and on our video version of the show hosted on YouTube. For updates and notifications, please visit my social media channels at Zach Bitter on Instagram, at ZBitter on Twitter, and at Zach.Bitter on Facebook. If you wish to sponsor the show or have any other questions or feedback, please reach out to me at HPOPodcast at gmail.com. All right, folks, welcome back to another episode of the Human Performance Outliers podcast. And I'm here today to do a quick recap on kind of how the Desert Solstice track invitational went for me last weekend. And uh, if you didn't listen to uh, the last episode that I did, it was episode 229. I did a bit of a recap of kind of how my training went and just the kind of the way I went about training and, and highlighted kind of the peak phase and all that stuff. So I'm going to reference that a few times here as I kind of analyze how things went for me on race day. So it is probably useful to listen to that one, although I will give enough context where if you didn't listen to it and you're jumping in on this one, you should be able to follow along no problem as well. But before we get started, I just want to make a couple quick new announcements. So I've revamped the Patreon page for the for the podcast. And uh, what I wanted to do with that is I wanted to offer up some different perks uh, or essentially more perks at a variety of different levels. So that has been kind of overhauled a bit. And I just want to share with you some of the perks over there in case you're interested in supporting the show on the, on the Patreon podcast, because now there are, there are rewards for as low as $1 per month on the donations over there. So uh, for $1 a month, you can get the advertisement free audio version of the show, which I will post uh, at the same time I do the public one. So if you want to kind of get just the straight show, nothing else, then for $1 a month, you can get that there. If you go up to $2, that also opens up the early release. So the way I usually do the podcast is I'll record sometimes multiple episodes and release them kind of on a schedule. So I'm always done recording, depending on how many episodes I have in the hopper, like sometimes up to a couple of weeks ahead of time. Uh, so I do usually post those to Patreon when I have episodes available yet to release before they go public. So if you are in that, in that $2 and above platform on Patreon, you can get the ad free plus the early release side of things on the episode. So you can be the first to listen, so to speak. Um, I'm going to start doing some live Q and A's on Patreon too, where uh, folks who are supporters of the page and the podcast can, can tune in on some pre-scheduled times and I'll be on there answering questions you have either about the show, about you know, anything you want to talk about essentially. And that one opens up at $3. And uh, from there, we just go up kind of a little bit to uh, the four or five, 10 and above dollar mark. And some of the things that open up from there are just kind of front of the line for our Q and a episode. So when I do a Q and a episode, like I'll, I'll be just gathering information that I get questions, you know, across all channels at this point, I'll look on, I get questions every day on Instagram, on my coaching email, 
on the podcast, email and all sorts of stuff. So I'll start collecting those and doing shows where I answer them and then publish that. So the, you know, if you, if you do the $4 and above, it just opens up kind of front of line where I'll prioritize yours. Cause sometimes those take a while to come out. Cause I'm not doing Q and a episodes all that often. Um, so just front of the line there. Um, and then five and above topic submissions for live streams. Uh, I'm going to also be doing some live streams on the Patreon page where I just talk about a specific topic. Uh, it might be a topic that we talked about on one of the shows that I get a lot of questions about as to go deeper of what I thought about it versus maybe what the guest said uh, or, or just topics I get a lot of questions about or stuff that folks are interested in. So I'm going to prioritize those folks on the Patreon page in terms of which topics to address. Um, and beyond that, it just opens up kind of some other perks in terms of kind of some of the offerings that I have, like email collaboration. If you're working on a training plan or something, or you're, you're doing something that you feel like I can help out with, we can have a more detailed conversation over email with that. And then in some of the higher, higher price points too, you can get uh, consultations, one-on-one -on -one chats with me as well. So um, head over to uh, patreon.com forward slash HPO podcast and check those out if you're interested and see what the new stuff is. And for those who are already supporting the show, thank you very much. You won't offend me if you move around in within the, within the framework of the Patreon perks, because I know some of it has shifted. So if the stuff you're looking for is now cheaper, um, you know, you do, do what you, uh, what, what you're looking for with that. But uh, your support is, is always appreciated and it helps me kind of spend more time recording and editing these shows and potentially getting more guests on down the road. So I thank everyone who's participated in the Patreon so far. All right. So now into desert solstice. So if you remember, I kind of had three more, more or less three kind of goals for this race and the high end goal, which I knew was going to be something that would take an almost perfectly executed 24 hour, which is probably very difficult, if not impossible to do most of the time. So I was hesitant to really share that, but it was what I actually thought. So I was, I wasn't going to kind of hide that from people if they wanted to know, but I, I thought realistically, if everything went perfect, I could get up to 180 plus miles. Um, that would have been 180 miles is about eight minute flat. Um, the world record by Giannis Kuros is 737 ish. So most of my training during my peaking phase, I was really just stacking a ton of volume at like seven and a half to eight minute mile pace and just getting really comfortable with the mechanics and that particular intensity. So, you know, with getting a couple of weeks up to 200 miles and at the time feeling like I was bouncing back from those pretty, pretty quickly, I thought that wasn't necessarily overly ambitious if everything went right. Um, with that though, I also had some other goals like, uh, you know, Mike Morton has the American record for 24 hours, 172 and a half miles. I thought that was um, a reasonable goal to kind of target if that the higher end goal fell off uh, and something that I was really interesting or kind of a cool benchmark to maybe aim for. But beyond that, my, my kind of number one goal, the one thing I wanted to make sure no matter what happened was that I made it through the entire 24 hours, partly just because I haven't done a full 24 hour event. And I wanted to be able to walk away from this regardless if it went good, bad, or otherwise and uh, know that I kind of have an idea of like the mental and the physical uh, process of kind of moving through that entire 24 hour event. So that was something that I, I, I was pretty open about in terms of what I wanted to make sure happened and, and, you know, partly held me accountable to stay out there too, if things went, went badly. Um, so 
uh, onto the race itself. It went uh, about as bad as I could expect, to be honest, um, in terms of just like the race execution and like how things kind of played out outside of uh, that, that final goal of kind of completing the full 24 hours. So I am definitely happy and uh, you know, glad I did do that. I stuck out the full 24 hours, but I had kind of a series of things just kind of unravel on me throughout the course of the day. And, and some things I kind of noticed early on too, that made me kind of think about, think twice about kind of the way I prepared for, it. and I'll talk about kind of that specific thing. And then maybe what I will do differently next time as I kind of prepare for another one of these events down the road. But uh, the first, the first kind of sign that I had that was like, kind of like away from plan, so to speak, was I was maybe four or five hours into the event. And I noticed I just was feeling maybe a little flat. Like I didn't quite feel like the miles were churning off as easily as I had expected them to. And, you know, you're four or five hours into a 24 hour event. It should feel very, very smooth. And uh, the other thing I was kind of leaning on a bit there too, was just some background I have in timed events as well. So, you know, I've run 11 hours and 19 minutes and 13 seconds for hundred miles and 104.88 miles for 12 hours. So I know what it feels like to be hitting kind of that, that pace, that like 647, 648 minute mile pace, you know, for about half the time of what I was planning on being out there. So at that point in the race, I think I was averaging somewhere in the seven forties, but I didn't really feel great. I didn't feel like, uh, you know, like it was just smooth sailing. Like, I feel like I probably would have felt had I been running that pace in a 12 hour timed event. So, you know, when you think about it, like had I come through say a hundred miles or 12 hours in like 13 hours or something like that, that should feel relatively conservative based on what I've been able to do for hundred miles. And then the next step would be like, well, can I maintain that? Can I do that again, essentially? Um, and, uh, you know, it just, it felt like I was maybe a little flat. And I think part of the reason could have been, it just, I might've been a little overcooked from the training. Uh, I felt like I was recovering during the training. And when I went from one week to the next, I felt about maybe three, four days before the event, the taper had really set in and I was kind of getting my energies back and really excited to get out there. But, you know, it's a really fine line at the end of the day. You know, you can you can just do one too many peak weeks and find yourself kind of like just not quite where you want to be or not quite as finely tuned. And then if things start to unravel on a surface like a track, I think they can go they can go sideways really quickly. But ultimately, I I don't want to overemphasize that too much because I wasn't feeling miserable. I was just feeling maybe a little bit off. So uh, with that mindset, I, I still think I should have been able to you know, hit a pretty high mileage marker on the day, despite not quite feeling as perfect as maybe I would have liked. But when I got to, I think it was around maybe 11 hours into the event, it was just, I think it was just starting to get dark. I had, uh, I was going around the track and the way they kind of have these things set up is they'll have a couple porter potties, usually like on one of the outside lanes in the turn. And if you need to use the bathroom, you just kind of pull off and use it and go back onto the track and start running again. So I knew I was going to need to use the bathroom. So as it's coming around, I started to kind of deaccelerate as I got about 10 feet from, from the bathroom. And as I was slowing down, my left calf just like locked up. It started to cramp. So I kind of limped into the bathroom and I just like sat down to kind of take the weight off my leg. And when I sat down, the cramp like spread up into my hamstring and I ended up just sitting there for like over five minutes, just trying to get it to like, to, it was almost felt like on like a Charlie horse almost. And I finally got it to kind of relax enough where I could like push myself up and then walk out of there 
So I kind of walked over to where my crew and aid station was and did some like massage work on it and tried to warm it and loosen it up a bit and get back out there. And you know, ultimately I got back out there, but it was just like really slow moving at that point. So uh, that, that kind of like took a lot of wind out of my sails as well as uh, you know, I started, I was hemorrhaging time at that point and, and uh, that, that left leg didn't feel like it was really going to cramp up the way it did at that one spot again, but it felt maybe a little weaker. So um, ultimately right around maybe 11 at night. So we would have been roughly 15 hours into the event. I, uh, I went into the, the crew aid station. I sat down just to kind of massage it out again and try to warm it up a bit. And uh, I actually ate like a full meal. I was just like, okay, I'm just going to eat some, some real food, get like a, a good meal in and kind of see if things kind of bounce back uh, and uh, kind of work on it. And I did that. And I went back on the track thinking I was going to have to walk. I, was, I, my, I thought my reality might be walking the rest of the, the, the race. So as I get out there and I start going around the track again, I thought I'm going to try to start jogging just to see kind of how I feel. And I started jogging and it was like, I miraculously felt pretty good. So I just kind of kept jogging. And at that time I was like super bundled up because it was getting really cold. It was probably, you know, under 40 degrees. I think it got down to maybe 36, 37 that night. Um, and in that kind of dry desert air, that 36, 37 degrees, your heat just kind of runs away from you pretty quickly. So I was like, really bundled up with the anticipation that I was gonna be moving really slow. And after a couple laps, I had to start shedding layers because I was starting to kind of work back down into like a low two minute lap split, um, which would be a right around eight, eight thirty ish mile pace or so. Um, so I thought, wow, if I can just kind of get comfortable in this pace and, you know, finish the last half around here, I could still run a, a fairly respectable 24 hour um, and kind of salvage what was a, a pretty big uh, hurdle that I, that just occurred. Um, and that lasted for maybe about an hour, 45 minutes to an hour before I had this like sharp pain in the top of my hip, but it felt kind of like where your IT band kind of runs up the side of your leg and then connects on the top near your hip. It felt like it was in there. And so I, I was started kind of limping and really favoring it. And uh, eventually it got bad enough where I had to stop and walk. So I went back into the aid station and thought it was my, maybe my IT band. So I just started massaging it out really good and heating it up because since it was cold, you know, that's kind of the worst possible scenario when something tightens up like that. If it's really cold, it's just gonna be a lot harder to loosen it. So I was sitting next to like a portable heater, massaging out, trying to get it to loosen up. And I went back out and I tried running and it, the pain would just kind of shoot right back in there. So uh, I would walk for a while. I try to run and then just kind of keep doing that. And then every time I would try to run that, that pain would come back. And since I was moving so slow at that point, it became a reality where I would be out there walking for a while and then I'd have to stop, warm it up, massage it out to loosen it up enough. Cause I'd, I'd get to be walking so slow where I wasn't even covering two miles an hour. And then I'd go and loosen it up and then I'd be able to kind of do a brisk walk and maybe get like three to four miles per hour. So, uh, I would, I would do that for a while and kind of repeat and just kind of, that was basically my reality for the second half of the, of the, of the event was that slow moving kind of walk outside. And, um, ultimately that got me to just under 116 miles. I think when I stopped running the first time I was at around 78 and then I would have had about maybe 45 to 60 minutes of kind of eight to eight, eight and a half minute mile running in there. And then the rest was just slow walking and massaging and heating and kind of going back and forth between those two things. So it was, it was definitely a little, uh, 
a little um, discouraging to, you know, stay motivated to be out there. But, you know, I knew I wanted to not let that last goal fall off the table as well, since those first two had been basically wiped clean by midway. And, uh, you know, the other thing was, you know, as a coach, I do like to watch these type of events because there's a lot of different strategies that people implement, a lot of different things that can happen during a 24 hour event, especially on a track like that. And, you know, watching these other folks out there just to kind of see what they were doing, you know, what kind of protocol they were using, uh, strategies and pacing and techniques, whether it be like a walking run strategy, whether it be just the way they had their gait or their positioning and the way they ran, uh, all the way down to like, what were they eating? What were they drinking? You know, all sorts of different things like that, because I think it's all just valuable information for me as I, you know, plan to eventually do another one of these. And as well as for folks I coach that are going to try to do something that's in the neighborhood of a 24 hour time frame. So getting to see that was definitely an added benefit on top of just completing the event itself. Um, and it's also inspiring, you know, you get to that point where you're like 22 hours in and you just see these people who've been like running basically the entire time. And you, they're, they're at like the, at, at the edge and the sun's kind of starting to maybe come up a bit and you can tell it's like, they're getting close, but they're still far away. And then just watching that and see like, you know, what happens. And, you know, sometimes people fall a couple hours short and blow up and have to walk and take a lot of breaks or have something flare up on them and they're limping and they're you know, hardly running anymore. And, you know, all the way to people like just speeding up and running their fast, some of their fastest splits at the very end. So you see all of that, uh, which was really cool to be able to witness in person and kind of check all that stuff out as well. Uh, so that's kind of the, the download more or less of kind of how the day went, what I experienced during it. Now I want to talk a little bit about what am I going to take away from this and do differently next time. All right, folks, I'm excited to announce that Eggweights has partnered with me as an athlete and the HPO podcast. And I want to share with you a few things that I use their products for. Uh, first, I love their run pods, which are these ergonomic weights that are two pounds that fit right in the palm of your hand. I love these to help with my arm drive and form consistency that they work with the University of Southern California's Clinical Science Research Lab to show the benefits for those. On the strength side of things, I'll actually sometimes go all the way up to their five pound handhelds here for box jumps and lunges. And finally, I really like their total massage toolkit that you can customize. I really like it to dig out some of those sore spots in my calves and hamstrings. All their stuff come in these great little nice egg weights tote bags. So check them out at eggweights.com. So my first thought is that perhaps I overreached a little bit on the mileage. I may have put too many eggs in that high volume basket, you know, targeting those big mileage weeks in that peaking phase. And if I'm really being honest and reflecting on kind of the training plan itself, some of the time I spent doing that probably took away from some of the strength work I would have normally done. Normally in a training plan, when I'm in the peaking phase for, for a hundred miler or any ultra marathon, I'm getting in the gym two to three times per week, just for lower body stuff. And then I might even do another couple days if I did just lower body on the other for some core and upper body stuff. And during the peaking phase, I was maybe getting there once, maybe once. And it was like kind of an abbreviated routine. And some of that was uh, my fault and just not kind of really pushing myself to be more on top of that. Uh, 
the other part of it would just be, you know, it's fatiguing to run 200 mile weeks and you, you spend a lot of time and energy doing that. So uh, at a certain point, you do need to actually kind of rest and recover. Uh, but with that said, I think maybe in exchanging some of that volume for a little more time in the gym, uh, doing some strength work so that my body holds up a little better because I mean, essentially my entire left leg bailed on me that day. So uh, when you think about it, like I, I think just with the how brutal the track can be on your body, if things are breaking down the, you know, it just, it can spiral really fast. It's a really fast environment. So you can run incredibly quick times if you have a good day, but if things go badly and things break down, it just amplifies and tends to accelerate exponentially on you. So I think a little more strength work would be helpful. Uh, the other thing I noticed too, in the days after the event itself was the thing that was the sorest on me, I assumed it was gonna be my hip. My hip was very tight for probably two or three days. I could tell like if I would try to stretch my left hip and then stretch my right hip, my left one's range of mobility was like half of that on my right. So there was definitely some inflammation and maybe a little bit of tendonitis in there or something, but um, it wasn't the most painful thing in the days after. My right ankle was actually the worst. So I can, you can kind of maybe look at that two days. Maybe my left ankle, my right ankle has caused me some problems in the past historically, especially when I'm not, really on top of the strength and mobility stuff. So it was, it's possible that that was maybe just a little weak. And since that was weak, I was favoring my left leg. And that's why I had so many issues with my left leg, or it's also possible that my left leg just, you know, had a bunch of issues with it for this particular event. And since that was suffering, I was favoring my right leg more and that left, that right ankle was kind of flared up the next couple of days. Um, Either way, I think it, I think strength and mobility are going to be something I put a, a little more of a premium on in some future trainings, especially for the next time I do a 24 hour. Uh, the other part would just be the way I kind of structured my long runs. So I was doing a little bit more of an even spread of my mileage over the course of the week. The difference was typically I would do solos on the weekend. So I might hit 30 miles on any given Monday through Friday but those were typically two a day. So it would be like a, maybe a 20 mile in the morning, a 10 mile in the afternoon, or like an 18 mile in the morning, 10 mile in the afternoon, that kind of a, of a split. And then on the weekends, I'd go out and try to just do like, say 25 to 30 miles all in one run. And, uh, I think what I will do differently next time is instead of trying to get that high in volume is I'll go a little lighter on some of those midweek runs and just do some longer, more targeted long runs of say 40 to 50 miles leading into the event, just to really get my body durable and used to the, the, the race itself on the environment. Because the other thing that was a little bit lacking that I would do a little more of in most years when I would do track hundred milers and 12 hour events is getting on the track itself. And this year was just a little more challenging, partly because there was just harder to get on tracks you know, with, with all the COVID stuff. Sometimes they wouldn't, they would have less, the access would be restricted. So I'd find myself like a couple of times going to a track and not being able to get on it. Um, and I think that I probably didn't quite do enough, what I would call course specific work to really get, maybe get used to those turning. I think that was maybe a minimum, a minimal thing or a, a smaller tweak that it would potentially make for the future, but it's something I will consider for sure. As, as I think about, about some of this stuff going in. Um, let's see. So yeah, other than that, I think, um, the recovery has been pretty decent. I mean, it stands to reason. I, even, even if I overdid it a little bit in training, you know, my body was very used to running those paces and 
I basically walked half of it. So I didn't probably destroy myself from a skeletal muscle system nearly as badly as I would have had. I had a really good day and, you know, put up a big mileage mark or something like that. But with that said, um, it's an off season time for me. This was the kind of the, the race of the end of the year. So I don't have a huge incentive to kind of force myself back into training, especially given kind of the outcome of everything. So I'm going to take, uh, you know, the rest of this week and next week, uh, pretty low key and, you know, start maybe implementing some of the strength work when I feel like the energies are back and then, you know, start maybe running, running again at a very low volume, uh, side of things as I, as we get closer to the new year. But usually what I'll do is, uh, when I start a new plan, sometimes, especially when I'm coming off one like this, where I was just doing a lot of long, slow work, I'll be doing some shorter, faster stuff. So some short interval sessions, maybe even some like, like really short hill sprints and that sort of stuff. And, uh, I really like that time of year just because it's like, you, you do get a little fatigued from like the big mileage training after a while and in a, a change is welcome. And it, it kind of feels good to get out and just do some sprints, do some like more, uh, higher or high intensity intervals or short interval type sessions and things like that and get a little bit of that speed back. And, and that usually feeds into my, my next training plan pretty nicely, regardless of whatever distance it's going to be at the ultra marathon level, uh, just because they tend to be less specific to race pace. So they're things I'm going to be doing earlier in a training plan anyway. Um, besides that, I've just got a little, a little bit of time to maybe think about what I want to do next, uh, what races will make sense kind of in the early 2021 and and going forward and right now it's still a little uncertain with what races will be happening and which ones are are going to be off the table from from just uh cancellations and things like that with covid but um that's what i got uh if you have any questions specifically about this event or anything else definitely reach out to me uh either on my social media channels or at hpopodcast at gmail.com and i'd be happy to uh to get back to you with those and possibly add them to a, a show Q&A or something that will do a deeper dive into some topics that folks are more interested. Thank you for listening to this episode of the Human Performance Outliers podcast. If you enjoyed the show, please consider checking out my website at ZachBitter.com or my social media channels at ZachBitter on Instagram, at ZBitter on Twitter, and at Zach.Bitter on Facebook. You can also support the show by subscribing and leaving a review on your favorite podcast platform. If you have any questions or comments, please do not hesitate to send me an email at hpopodcast at gmail.com. Thanks again for tuning into the show.